Welcome, you beautiful souls, to another episode of the Unreasonable Art of Living podcast. I'm your host, Gerhard Molin, and as always, enjoy this beautiful music. Yes. Wow. Episode two. Um, first of all, I just want to be, I'm so grateful and so thankful for all the positive uh, feedback and responses I've received after launching episode one. Thank you so much for listening. I really appreciate it. And yeah, I'm actually, you know, I was a bit giggling at myself because I'm actually all, <laughs> all alone here. There's no one here, but I got very, very nervous um, recording this episode. I would say like it, you know, stage fright, but there's no one there. But for me, every time I have this nervousness nowadays, I see it as excitement. And I think that's a very beautiful way to deal with your inner, you know, if you feel very, very nervous, it's just your body showing you that there's some, you're really excited about something and you care about something. And it's a good sign because, yeah, I really care about this. I want to produce content that's um, helpful for you, inspiring, and again, in worst case, it's just comfort noise that you can enjoy uh, during a busy day. So yeah, um, episode number two. Actually, today I was thinking about talking about my trip to Japan and how, in what ways it has inspired me and what I've learned from there. But then as I was um, finishing the currently the book, I think I mentioned it last episode, the book of Charlie, Wisdom from the Remarkable American Life of a 109-Year-Old Man. So I was finishing the book, and as I was reading it, there are many references to Stoics and Stoicism. And I was like, oh, wait, this actually would be a cool kind of like bridge to go into a bit of a Stoicism, because I've, I've been looking into this as well as part of my philosophical and spiritual pathway the last seven years. And I was like, all right, let's like look into this and keep the trip to Japan for next time, because um, actually... I would like to read a book about it first. It's a book about Ikikai. It's another, it's a Japanese philosophy on how to live a long and happy life. And it goes into the origins of where it comes from, in, uh, stems from Okinawa. It's one of the, it's the place where actually with the highest concentration of people who live beyond the age of 100. And not just that, they live a healthy and also especially happy life. And yeah, so I think I will combine it with this. And, well, let me just take a sip of water. <laughs> mm. I think last time I also didn't mention what is like the format of this podcast. So I mentioned there will be some guests. And I actually have already some uh, very inspiring and interesting guests lining up for end of July and August. So I'm really, really looking forward to that. And um, my goal is, of course, to have a, publish this weekly could be sometimes bi-weekly, but uh, the goal is to be weekly. And uh, yeah, it's the, um, I'm really, very excited about the, ne the next upcoming weeks. There's so much cool things I want to share with you. And uh, so before we go into the, the book uh, about Charlie, um, yeah, I wanted to maybe share a bit my philosophical and spiritual pathway, which started around seven years ago. It was 2016 when I moved to Helsinki. It was a bit of a challenging time. I was just 
Before that, I was in Melbourne. Uh, I started a PhD there. Things didn't really turn out the way I expected they would. And I was like, okay, what, what now? And um, luckily I found, uh, for some reason, I googled Finland and I ended up at the University of Helsinki to continue my PhD there. Yet at the same time, um, a beautiful relationship ended with um, my first long-term partner. And yeah, it was just a very difficult time at that moment. And for some reason, though, there was always like this inner inner calling that I I'm very really was very interested, especially in Zen Buddhism. And then, uh, luckily, there was a Zen center in Helsinki, and which I attended. So I started off with exploring Zen Buddhism around seven years ago. And then, actually, for this episode, it was it's beautiful to go back in in time. I looked at you know what what have I tried so far? So it was Zen Buddhism. Then I looked into Kriya Yoga. Then I looked into Michael Singer's work, who practiced a form of Kundalini Yoga and also like mindfulness, especially. I tried non-dual mindfulness um, practice by you know Sam Harris. I looked into the Wim Hof method. Uh, then various other breath exercises uh, beyond what Wim Hof is um, has been practicing. And as of lately, I looked very much into Stoics and. When I looked into this, my pathway so far, so I think this is very important as well. My story and the things I share, there's, you know, like I, there's no, I want to avoid to tell you like, this is the way you should try that. Um, because I have, <laughs> trying all these things, I've come to realization there are so many ways to create your philosophy of a good life. And in the end, it's about you, what you like and what resonates with you. Some people like to meditate. Some people like breath works. Some people like very visualized and very like esoteric pictures of, you know, like stories and, and um, forces and energies. It doesn't matter in the end of the day. And I think what I would like to do with this podcast is really exposing to the things I've learned and, sh and what I learned about them, how I, incorporated them into my life and maybe it inspires you to look into it and um, you can take something with you because now when I look today how I oh what I practice nowadays is in the mornings your know, meditations is actually a very funky combination of Zen meditation um, some form of uh, yoga meditation with visualizations and combined with a breath work which I learned in Byron Bay so as you say, like I have incorporated the things that work for me and resonate with me. And I think that's so important that if you're interested to look into like defining your philosophy of a good life, define methods and practices, don't just go with someone else tells you like this is the thing you have to try. Always go with an open mind into it. See how it is, how it feels to you. Does it work? Does it work? Does it resonate? If yes, take things with you and then still keep an open keep an open mind. Um, there's a danger into falling into something called isms, like going into something so deeply and just defending it with all you have because you think that is the answer to life. And I think having read various philosophies about how to live a good life, I think the only core that combines all of them is to be in nature or like to be in, how do you say, to live in nature 
Wait. <laughs> to live according to nature. There we go. Um, this is, I think, the core that all of these philosophies have in to share, basically. And it's beautiful if you think about it. Over a period of thousands of years, we have different groups of people across the world trying to come up with a philosophy of a good life, trying to come up with their own way of methods or like their own practices, stories. But the core stays the same, to live in accordance with nature. And I will get in, we'll talk more about it in a second. But yeah, more about that soon. So so I think what you will hear over the next episodes is I will go into all the things I've tried and still trying and share with you what I've learned, how it has resonated with me, what I liked about it, what I didn't like about it. And, you know, maybe there's something you think like, oh, I should try it out. Then if this is the case, you always have more than welcome to reach out to me and uh, I can share with all the, all the things I've collected about certain philosophies. All right. But next things first. <laughs> first things first. Um, so yeah, I've finished the book uh, the book of Charlie, Wisdom from the Remarkable American Life of a 109-Year-Old Man. It is such a cute book. It's not too long. It's maybe, I don't know, 180 pages. And I love these kind of books, reading the stories of, you know, like elderly people um, who share, you know, like who have experienced such an, you know, like who who grew up basically early, now, was it 1905, 1906, and they went through the First World War, the you know uprising of the first cars, um, Second World War, first you know stock market crash, then post Second World era, hippie era, the, the rise of the internet. Like this is crazy to think about it. And there was one, one particular, um, how do you say, section of the book which I found so cool because Charlie. So after he basically Charlie and his friends when they were sixteen, seventeen. They, they got a Ford T model from uh, one of their friends who was quite wealthy and they decided to, you know, like do a road trip from Kansas City all the way to California. And it was just beautiful to read the story. And uh, I didn't know that, for example, one of the most common injury caused uh, back in the days um, was by cranking a Model T Ford, a Model T Ford to start because the engine could backfire and causing the crank to spin the opposite way. And did this caused injury to arms and wrists. And so you had a lot of like broken arms for just starting your car. Crazy. And so then Charlie, actually, his most of this inner desire, he was, uh, was to become a doctor. And again, the picture we have nowadays of medicine and um, doctors, of course, like, you know, even nowadays, the field of medicine is changing rapidly. But back then, it was just at the very, very start of understanding the human body. And there was one section I found so kind of like crazy to imagine. So it was um, after he finished studying, he worked at a hospital in Chicago. And it was also the time where Al Capone was very active. There was a lot of, uh, you know, mafia and gangsters roaming around the city. And uh, I found this one particular section, I will read now. To you are uh, very remarkable. So it goes something like this. So the, here comes the section. So one wild night in Capone's Chicago, 
His ambulance was called to the scene of a gangland shootout. So Charlie was at that night, at that moment, um, an emergency call. So a mobster lay on the sidewalk with a severe case of lead poisoning. The man's female companion was distraught and pleaded with Charlie to do something. When the doctor in training knelt beside the fallen gangster and checked his fluttering pulse, it was obvious that there was no hope. A spreading pool of crimson told the tale. He can't survive without transfusion, Charlie announced. Though in those days you could fit everything known to physician about the infant science of blood transfusion onto a couple of index cards with room left for a grocery list. Sometimes a transfusion worked, other times the new blood seemed to cause a toxic reaction. Researchers were still figuring out, figuring out the details of blood typing. So the gangster's girlfriend offered to pay a handsomely for last-ditch heroics. So, digging into the ambulance supplies, Charlie produced a length of rubber tubing and two IV needles, blanching one needle into his own arm and the other into the other arm of the dying man. Charlie and the mole watched as the rubber tube filled with Charlie's blood. Whether the patient and his would-be healer had compatible, compatible blood types would never be known because the rash experiment failed to save the wounded man. But his girlfriend was moved by the attempt, so the girlfriend of the dead gangster, attempt, and true to her word, she produced a wad of cash from which she peeled a generous sum and pressed the bills into Charlie's hand. Um, for me, it was just like so incredible to picture this scene and also like this time of age where doctors still had to, you know, like the things they knew about the body, water, one second, was just, yeah, in the very infants and, you know, like blood transfusions, no idea. They just knew, all right, why, why does someone die if I put my blood into this body's blood uh, body and why do some die and why not? And I think when you read about Charlie, I really can recommend this book. And at this time of age, it was a lot of trying, experimenting. There was a lot of courage. And there was, yeah, because they didn't know. They had to try. And I was thinking it's like such a crazy thing to imagine. So then um, at the very end of the book, so when Charlie died at the age of 109, the author of the book um Yeah, he so he was given like his note notepads of Charlie and Charlie actually during the author book and why the reference to stoicism it was actually never Charlie itself it was just the author who tried to look at Charlie through lens of a stoic philosophy and I will look into the philosophy after after this but what I found so beautiful at the end when. Uh, what Charlie wrote in his notepad at the you know, very end of his life, I think it was 108, and he never wrote anything similar or never really contemplated about what does it mean to live a good life. And he kind of like tried in the, very, the, the last, in his last days to think about what is his philosophy of life. And I wanted to share these few things because I always love those kinds of things because they are so real. These are people who have lived a very interesting, adventurous life 
Um, and you can learn so much from them. And I think, yeah, I will read them to you. So one of the things he wrote, he wrote in definite commands in his notepad. Think freely. Practice patience. Smile often. And savor special moments. These were the first four lines on his notepad page and uh, he continued. Tell loved ones how you feel. Forgive and seek forgiveness. Feel deeply. Observe miracles. Make them happen. He wrote about trusting yourself enough to take risks. About opening yourself to opportunity and being ready to seize it. About finding beauty in the world. And yeah, be it the thrumming rain, the rainbows or the glow of, of the sunrise. Then he wrote, be soft sometimes, cry when you need to, make some mistakes and learn from them. Yeah, um, I found this uh, just so beautiful to have these rich experiences. And I think, yeah, I really rec can recommend you the book. So I can tell you, I will put in the show notes, but yeah, the book of Charlie, Wisdom from the Remarkable American Life of a 109-Year-Old Man. And while I was reading this, so there were many references to the to Stoicism. And, um, and this resonated with me because I found there's very interesting things to learn from the philosophy of the Stoics. And there's one particular method, um, it's called negative visualization, which helped me in one of my most, like, one of the darkest, darkest moments in, was last winter. And I will share this story with you um, after, in a second. I was just wanted to go first into like opening up a bit of what are the Stoics. And yeah, the Stoics, it's an ancient Roman Greek philosophy founded by Zeno of Sidium in the 3rd century BCE. Before, yeah. And what's also very interesting when you read more about Stoics, and what I find it so inspiring is... Back in the days, um, during Roman and uh, the Greek Greek times back then, <laughs> they had um, all these kind of like schools of uh, philosophies where you could go to and kind of like learn from philosophers who not just like preach, but also like walk the talk. So these are people who really like live by it. And I think this is so beautiful, which we kind of like, we don't have this kind of schools anymore. Um, the closest thing I could think of was the church, but the church, or like especially in, in Austria, you, you know, I don't know, I've never thought like they, the message they would, or like they've failed to really convey the importance of religion, also like the importance of a philosophy. And I think that's why I guess we have this kind of like, negative view of the church and Christianity nowadays, which I, yeah, completely share. And I find like, this is quite cool that back then you have to really like places to go where people would talk about philosophy and what, what is it, what is it, what does it make to live a good life and share methods, practical methods you can apply in everyday life. And I think what's also important about uh, knowing about the Stoics, um, it's not just a, uh, Yeah, what I say, it's like, it's not just a philosophy. They were one, if you go really back to, they're one of the 
like it's a very they're very significant psychological components in their philosophy because the stoics realized that a life plagued with negative emotions including anger anxiety fear grief and envy will not be a good life and they came up with very like um hands-on practical methods to deal with this kind of negative emotions and to in order to live in their court in their opinion um a good life so yeah they went on they have these techniques to preventing these negative emotions and also like to deal with challenges and suffering and um one of the also very important actually what i didn't know before that before we i looked into stoicism and stoics is that you know when you look up stoic in the dictionary stoic with a lower capital s <laughs> it's all about like you would see like these are people who are immune to all kinds of emotions who are just like these emotionless robots who just like march forward doesn't matter what happens but once you actually read more about stoics with capital s um those were very joyful and cheerful people who understood and it's also like one of the philosophers seneca or was it epictetus um, I think it was Seneca, actually. He said that, you know, like, enjoy wealth, enjoy the beauty of life whilst you have them or when they are given to you, but just don't clinch to them. I think that's a beautiful thing to say. You know, if you're rich, enjoy being rich, just don't clinch to the wealth and um, have beautiful moments in life. So again, the Stoics with capital S, they were no emotionless robots, they're actually very joyful people and if you're interested in stoicism um, i think one of the first books i would recommend you to read is called meditations by marcus aurelius and he was one of the great uh, roman emperors in the time and i think why this book is so beautiful it is his private journal and this book on the things he wrote they're very intimate Intimate things is a conversation just he had with himself. And it was never meant to be published. It was never meant to be read by anyone else than just him. So you read this book, which was written thousands of years ago, like this, this diary entries. And they're actually so, they haven't aged at all in a sense that we humans, in a sense, deal with similar thoughts, similar, similar issues and Nothing really has changed in that aspect. And it was remarkable that people back then came up with this kind of methods and had an idea about like what is psychology, what is the mind. And it's important to be able to deal with uh, emotions, you know, be live in accordance with nature and came up with all these techniques. And as one, so I will I read with you for you uh, one entry, which is, you know, like it's just kind of like, I found it very inspiring. Um, again, the importance, just I would like you to really go back in time. This was Marcus Aurelius. He was one of the greatest, one of the greatest Roman empires back then. And one, one of, if not the most powerful person at that time in the world. And this is what he wrote to himself during the time when he was in, in power. So this is what he wrote. At dawn, when you have trouble getting out of bed, tell yourself, I have to go to work. 
as a human being. What do I have to complain of if I'm going to do what I was born for? The things I was brought into the world to do? Or is this what I was created for? To huddle under the blankets and stay warm? But it's nicer here. So you're born to feel nice? Instead of doing things and experiencing them? Don't you see the plants, the birds, the ants and spiders and bees going about their individual tasks? Putting the world in order as best as they can? And you're not willing to do your job as a human being? Why aren't you running to do what your nature demands? But we have to sleep sometime. Agreed. But nature set a limit on that, as it did on eating and drinking. And you're over the limit. You've had more than enough of that, but not of working. There you're still below your quota. You don't love yourself enough. Or you would love your nature too, and what it demands of you. People who love what they do wear themselves down doing it. They even forget to wash or eat. Do you have less respect for your own nature than the engraver does for engraving, the dancer for the dance, the misser for money or the social climber for status? When they're really possessed by what they do, they would rather stop eating and sleeping than give up practicing their arts. Is helping others less valuable to you, not worth your effort? Marcus Aurelius in Meditations. Um, he had a many, many, many interesting uh, entries in his journal. And I think, yeah, again, this was written by a Roman emperor. <laughs> you know, he wrote this to himself in the evening in his journal. It was never meant to be read by anyone. His journal was found and then it was published um, in various, um, yeah, various uh, languages and over the thousands of years, over, you know, translated, of course, uh, in the context of the current, you know, current language. And uh, I think one of the beautiful things is like this, uh, to live in, in accordance with nature. And I think this is interesting because this is very, what I mentioned before, the, in, to live in accordance with nature. And I think this is uh, very interesting as it has Stoicism and Buddhism and Zen Buddhism, they share very similar views on life and philosophies. They just vary like in, in a bit of like, you know, what, what is like, where are we going to, for example, and what is the whole greater purpose of this life or meaning or how does this all come together? Stoics, for example, they believe in the Logos. And the Logos is kind of like this universal principle, which is active reason that works kind of like in an inanimate matter. So it basically means there's some underlying universal force which works on the basis of reason. And they believed, it's a bit similar to fate maybe, but Logos, they believed, you know, like there's, there's room that you can make um, things that are out of your control and things that are in your control. And the things that are out of your control, they are kind of like the Logos. They will happen if you want or you don't want to. And what is this in, within your control is how you choose to react, react this outside, out of your control forces. And um, this is interesting because... They think about like a dichotomy, um, 
no, how do you say it? Dichotomy. Dichotomy, yes. <laughs> Dichotomy. Dichotomy of choices. So there's two things, the things you can control and the things you cannot control. Um, for example, yeah, things are not of you control is anything about, you know, the weather outside, if the sun is rising or not. This you just cannot control, but what you can control is your attitude towards it, how you cho choose to react, how you choose to live this moment in what is happening. And um, again, living according to nature, it means there's this overflowing kind of like energy universal law that just flows with or without you. And what importance is to live in accordance to nature is means is harmony between who you are, your relationship to everyone else around you, and Mother Nature herself, or the objective reality. So the Stoics provided, even back then, a very interesting inner compass that is helping to navigate through life uh, with temptations, suffering, difficulties, and stress, and like kind of like, how do I go about this life, which is like this remarkable multidimensional thing. And I will, uh, yeah, there's, um, when you read more and more about it and you read about biographies about other people or books on philosophy, you will find more, how do you say, you will find so many mentionings about Stoics and Stoicism, be it Winston Churchill or Queen Elizabeth, um, then now Charlie, the book I just read, or Dal, Ken Dal Kennedy, Carnegie. Dal Carnegie. <laughs> Dale Carnegie. Yes, this is the word. Uh, he also wrote a book, you know, How to Stop Worrying and Start Living, which was published in 1948. And I think there's so, you find it over and over again. There's so many interesting references to Stoicism. But in the end, they all, it's not just Stoicism. You've, they, you will find in all kinds of spiritual and philosophical schools of thought, be it Zen Buddhism, yoga, um, all kinds of, you know, like nowadays modern therapies, for example, or like in psychology. And I think one modern Stoic, for example, like someone has this very similar or like a lot of similarities um, is the logotherapy, which was uh, invented by Viktor Frankl, Frankl, Viktor Frankl. He was a Holocaust survivor. Another great book. It's called The Man's Search for Meaning. And he was the creator of the logotherapy. And... Um, Without even like, I actually don't think he really knew anything about stoicism. But again, it, there's something there's something so beautiful about it. You have all these different people across the world who come come up with try to understand how to live a good life. What methods can we apply for practical methods? And they kind of like always come to the same conclusion. Um, For example, like logotherapy and stoicism, they're both very similar because they both emphasize of finding meaning in life. And it can, um, again, it can, meaning from life comes living in accordance with nature. And in the logotherapy, for example, the motivational forces of life can be found through work, love, and suffering. Again, suffering in a sense, you can even, Viktor Frankl, the book, Meaningful Life, is so wow. Because someone who survived the Holocaust, he observed the people who were able, even in this horrible, horrible, horrible circumstances, were able to find meaning. Even this were far more likely to survive than people who could not deal with these kind of situations. 
And both logotherapy and stoicism, they, they talk about that you what you are what are you control of and what you're not. And you're in control of your reactions, your attitudes. And same with logotherapy, it, it has like the freedom of find meaning of life, even in the most difficult circumstances. So you cannot change the outside things that happen. For example, in Viktor Frankl's case, he was, uh, you know, a Jew in a in, in a concentration camp, and uh, yeah, found even meaning in that kind of situation. And both logotherapy and stoicism, for example, have methods and techniques how to actually deal with this kind of hardship and sufferings. Very hands-on tools. And I will talk one um, about one stoic method, uh, which helped me actually quite a bit. And yeah, I think both of them had very, very, very huge influence on modern psychotherapy. Both stoicism and logotherapy have had significant influence on modern cognitive behavioral therapy, for example. The stoic practices of challenging irrational beliefs align with techniques used in cognitive behavioral therapy. And also like logotherapy has been incorporated into existential therapy and has influenced many, many, many other therapeutic approaches. And I think now I'm just like, it's just so fascinating if you think about it. This was, especially with the Stoics, thousands of years ago, and you find it in Zen Buddhism, in yoga, in uh, all kinds of shapes and forms. People, all, you know, like these things they come up with and they all have the unique way of expressing it. But in the end, it's like, how do we live in accordance with nature? How can we live how can we deal with challenges and suffering in this world? And understanding there's a, there's a dichotomy, so to say. There's two things. There's the things that we can control and we should focus on and the things we cannot control. And how, how can we deal with these? And in the end, so now I actually want to play something by Michael Singer. He um, fascinating work. So I think there's one book, uh, "The Untethered Soul" by Michael Singer, and uh, yeah, he this short clip talks about yoga and you know what is yoga, the yoga science, what is it about? And there's one example about same situation or same event, but how you actually deal, like how you respond to it. But let's play the video. To begin with, let's take a look at what yoga is. Science of yoga has been called many, many different things. And like most sciences, it can be very complicated and you can get very lost in it. But the truth of the matter is yoga is very, very simple. Yogananda once said, yoga is the science of self-realization. That's the simplest way to look at it. The way the untethered soul starts off is in essence to look you in the eyes and ask you a very simple question. Are you in there? Are you in there? And anyone I ever asked it to said, yeah, I'm in here. <laughs> and the question then becomes, how do you know? How do you know you're in there? And eventually, after getting frustrated with me, you'll yell at me and say, because I hear you, because I'm aware of what you're talking about. I'm in here. Well, that's yoga. Just as physics tries to understand gravity, understand where things came from, 
Yoga tries to understand who is in there. Who are you? Where did you come from? How are you doing in there? That's the second question. How are you doing in there? <laughs> Honestly. Yes. And what most people will answer you is, well, sometimes it's okay, and sometimes it's not. Sometimes it's very difficult to be in here, and sometimes very pleasant to be in here. That is what the science of yoga is about. It's really beautiful. In the West, we've studied many, many different things. Yoga comes from thousands of years of very, very great beings stepping aside for a moment and devoting their lives to the question of, who am I? Where do I come from? Why is it difficult in here sometimes? And why is it not? Science is about, excuse me, the yoga of science is about you. So let's start answering those questions because that is the question that the untethered soul takes on. What's it like in there? And like I said, most people will say it varies. Varies on what? And so you say, well, if it's my birthday and I plan to party outside and it's pouring rain, it's not okay in here. It's less than not okay in here. It's very, very difficult in here. But if I just planted a garden and it's pouring rain, I'm, I'm joyous. I feel wonderful inside. My garden's going to grow. This is very good. And so you start to realize there's something fishy going on in here. <laughs> Why would I be okay one time when it's raining and I'm not okay in here another time when it's raining? And to cut to the chase, you realize it's something you're doing. <laughs> when you want it to rain, you're fine in there. When you don't want it to rain, you're not fine in there. Beautiful. When someone you like comes up here, comes up to you, and talks to you and says some things nice to you, you feel good. When someone you don't want to interact with at all, you're not comfortable with at all, comes up and even says nice things, yeah. you're very uncomfortable. I'll get back to this. In my loop this is what the untethered soul talks about. So yeah, this is uh, Michael Singer. And again, <laughs> so beautiful. By the way, I can really recommend looking into each other. I, looking into each other. Looking into it. Um, <laughs> I will... Um, talk about Michael Singer and his work and how it has influenced me in another episode. But again, so this is, we don't have, uh, this is not a stoic. Michael Singer is a yogi. He has been practicing also Zen meditation. I think he started off with Zen Buddhism. As many, I think there's so interesting, there's many people who started off with Zen Buddhism and then transitioned to yoga. And I do understand why sometimes. Talk about it more. But again, he talks about being, living, in accordance with nature, it means living in accordance with your own nature, loving yourself. Once you can do that, you can love in a nature with others, love them and live in accordance with our reality, with nature itself, with mother nature. And uh, understanding there is you and there's things that you can control, the attitudes, the emotions, the reaction to things. And there are out outside external events that you cannot control. So why bother about them? not being bought up, just why do you let them influence your internals? It's not, it's not their fault. It's not whatever happens out there is happening. And um, just to give you another, I think now I'm just like, what I love, once you see this pattern, you can see it in all kinds of philosophies. Another one, um, so now I'll give you another short clip by Ellen Watts. It's called Don't Force Anything. And um, it's called Wu Wei. So don't for the art of not forcing. Wu Wei. And uh, yeah, enjoy. There is a principle called Wu Wei. 
means none or not, no, negation, way, has a combination of meanings. It can mean action, making, but the best translation I have found for it is forcing. And so Wu Wei is the principle of not forcing in anything that you do. Now we know when we watch any performance of an artist, be it a dancer or a, an actor or a musician, we know immediately when the performance is forced. And we say it doesn't ring true, it's too artificial, it doesn't seem to be natural. Many people who study the Taoist doctrines think that Wu Wei means do nothing. In the sense of laissez-faire, be lazy, always be passive. It doesn't mean that. There is a time for action. When you study judo, you use muscle only at the right moment. When your opponent is hopelessly overextended and off balance, and you add a little muscle to it and you throw him across the room. But only then, you never use muscle at the wrong moment. For as Shakespeare knew perfectly well, there is a tide in the affairs of men which taken at its flood leads on to fortune. And so Wu Wei is based on knowledge of the tide. The drift of things. Get with it. Wu Wei is the art of sailing rather than the art of rowing. Yeah, beautiful. Um... Again, you know, like in the principle of don't force a thought, is again, don't force anything to live in accordance with nature that we know there is like this overarching force, things that are in movement and we are part of it. And there is, uh, if you want to or not to, and kind of like Wu Wei on the Stoics house, how it or yogis is, yeah, I think what you can do is, same as sailing, you can, for example, you can adjust the sail to catch some wind, but you don't, you cannot control where the wind is coming from. You have to really read the wind and see how where it is going and react to it. This isn't your control, but what you cannot not, not cannot control is the conditions of the water. Where is the wind coming from? The conditions of the weather. And this is beautiful. This is nature. This is kind of like how we interact in this universe. There's this organic, ever-flowing force of energy. And once we are living in accordance with nature, with true to ourselves, with our nature, where we love ourselves so much that we can live in accordance with other people's nature, love them and love Mother Nature. And um, yeah, finally, I think there's like this, yeah, yeah, uh, there's two things, and I think now I'm going to share what my personal experience with um, one stoic method. There are gifts, things that are you born with, you know, like um, certain trade-offs, how you look like, um, certain skills. I think that we now know with epigenetics that uh, your DNA is not set in stone. There's like kind of like more like a potential in each area. And you can, these potentials, or the limit of potentials are triggered in a sense in 
by which where you live, what experiences you're getting exposed to, what you eat, what people you meet. So it's actually quite important to go out there and experience the world and be in different cultures, situations, work you do to really understand you better, to really understand what are my kind of like potentials in all kinds of areas. What is my what is my nature? So these are the gifts, but um, you didn't do didn't do much about them. The gifts you get are just there. But what you can do, what really defines you are the choices you make in every moment of your life. And these choices are defined by your character and your character can be formed. And you have to think about like, based on what? What are my principles? What is my character? And I had to face this question quite harshly it was last winter um give you a bit of context so it was is it was like i still remember this evening quite vividly and uh it started off in august september october i think it was or no, mid-november and uh yeah I, it had to deal i had to deal with the reality of um starting hair loss genetic hair loss and i think i remember it was already back in the age when it was 17 18 once you understand, all right, you put one and one together, uh, you either get, so it's either you get the genes from your mother or from your dad. And both didn't look promising <laughs> in terms of, <laughs> you know, like when you get the genes from your mother, you look at your grandfather, grandfather, mother's side, or you look at my father. And my father was still the most, yeah, it was not complete hair loss, but it was definitely, I knew um, when I get older, this is what I will be getting. And I was like, you know, for someone who is, you know, at a young age, there's so much fear connected to it because you are, you kind of like your self-esteem is so much relied, so much built on your physical body appearance. And this fear has been like probably bubbling in me for a decade and kind of like it, it kind of like popped up. There's much, there was much happening in my private life in last winter and really bubbled up last winter so harshly it's like i was this fear oh my goodness um it's starting now hair loss is kicking in and uh wow i i honestly i seriously was considering flying to turkey hairless hair um hair transplant uh clinic um and it was just looking back now it's so surreal and the feeling is so weird because i remember it was like it was just Basically, three, four weeks, it was a phase where I just looked into it. I watched YouTube videos. I don't know, I watched countless of uh, pre- and post-surgery um, stories. And I was like, now thinking about it, it's just bizarre. And it was on a Sunday evening. So actually, I contacted the clinic and it was in Istanbul. And I booked an appointment. And luckily, so the deal was, by the way, very serious people like i love them like, like the, the, the care they showed and like the the, um, the services provided i wouldn't i would never down would never ever like to down talk them i think just like it's a good service i think if you really there's two ways to deal with this kind of thing either like on a psychological level or yeah you just do it and i think if you're happy with it be happy with it but for me i think the decision to do it was based on fear and what i had learned is like I, if you make a decision based on fear or you make a decision on an expected outcome, it's never a good decision 
And what I mean by this, it's not an authentic decision because if a decision, an authentic decision is something you decide and you don't care about the outcome or the motivations really. And now looking back, I can see it clearly. And it was definitely, there was some, there was always, it's a, it was more like um, an ego drive to move in that direction. So I had a consultation call and I booked an appointment in Istanbul. Luckily, you don't have to pay until you're there because you still have a kind of like consulting session with them. You can still decide on site. So it was, but I booked a flight. It was around 250 euros, not too much. And it was a Sunday evening. I was sitting um, in Vienna in my room and I was like, something is not right. And I was just in that time reading about Stoics and I came across this method called negative visualization. And it's actually quite, if you think about it, it's actually, first, what you do, you think about all the negative things that could happen to you in life. First, you feel like, why? Why would I spend time thinking about all the bad things that could happen in my life? But actually, what this negative visualization teaches you is actually it forces you to come back to reality. It's like, oh, wow, I'm actually so happy that all these things don't happen to me and that you're actually like quite happy with what you have. And this is, in this sense, what I did, I applied the negative visualization and I pictured to myself or like I asked myself, all right, would I do this if I had maybe six months to live? Is this something so important in my life? Fixing my hair loss. And I was sitting there and I looked up and there was a picture <laughs> of myself. So I was back then I was staying in my dad's place for as I was visiting him. And it was a picture of myself when I was maybe one year old or two years old. It was like this picture of me as a baby, just smiling. And then I looked at this and, uh, yeah, I started crying because I was like, wow, look at this version of myself, like this baby, just pure joy and like doesn't even think about this ridiculous thoughts about like fear of hair loss and what am I doing here? And then in combination with this question, you know, what is important in life? And I think like, wow, it's all the, all my close friends, it's my family, it's the creativity I can, you know, the creativity I can manifest in whatever I, I, I care about. My friends I love, my, my family members I love, and, you know, this beauty of life, that's important. If I had to live six more months, no, I would never do that. That's a, such an unimportant thing to do and even think about it. And if that moment, this fear just vanished. I mean, I cried this evening, but I think it was a cry of beauty and, and, and yeah, kind of like uh, cleaning, getting, being confronted with this fear has been within me for a decade as I confronted it. And um, yeah, this is how the Stoics philosophy in that moment, this method helped me. And um, yeah, I, I still, I still practice it and I've applied it in various forms of meditations. And again, um, I will, I can talk more about the methods in the next episode uh, if you, if you like to. 
There's, uh, there's not many, to be honest. I think the two, three methods, Stoics mostly recommended, and they're just so powerful. It's more about like the principles they live by. And um, yeah, I will, I, will, I will put all the Stoic books in the short show notes that you can look into. And uh, yeah, so this was uh, my first kind of like, yeah, my take on Stoicism, how it has influenced me, what how it has helped me. And I found it's a beautiful philosophy. It's not the only one. It's one of many. Always keep this in mind. And um, yeah, and I think it also helped me a lot with Lumi. Uh, it helped me to come up with the green lights in a sense, the method. And uh, there's a good keyword to end this episode now with my weekly Lumi check-in. Crazy. Last week's Lumi was uh, 4.33. It was a quite good score. And uh, yeah, today's Lumi. How was my last week? My last week. Let's start with career. So there's five Lumi lenses I always have. There's career, friends, family, love, mental health, body health, sleep, creativity, and learning. And I rate each category between one and five. One is bad, five is great, three is okay. Then I sum up the score, I sum up all the scores and divide it by nine because nine categories. <laughs> and while I'm doing this, I'm exploring why it were rated. And I end the Lumi check-in with green lights. So all the good things that propelled me forward last week to really like, wow, I'm kind of like helped me to keep, keep a check on reality, how beautiful life is and how grateful, you know, we should be for the things we experience. All right. So last, uh, what, how was career last week? This week, actually, I would give it a four. Uh, we had some very good talks, um, about our team, the direction, uh, where we want to head to, some short fallings that have been kind of like acknowledged by some, uh, yeah, by our CEO who had a good talk with us and this kind of made us feel hurt, hurt, I like appreciated that, yeah, there's something not going well and um, it's nice that they're like, yeah, we see it now and this is the actions we want to do. Um, also four, because I worked on, uh, quite a yeah difficult or new thing. It's kind of like an, a pipeline for transferring data from one place to another. And my it was really nice to work again closely with my colleague Don on, on this. And uh, yeah, it's a four. It was good. Not great, but it was good. Friends, um, yeah, this is interesting. I think this is uh, what... What Michael Singh actually said is like, you know, like there's uh, sometimes, you know, when things, yeah, how we react to what people say to you, it's, you can, it's in your control. And I think I will give my friends this time to three, because I think I didn't, uh, looking back, and I think, you know, that's important to share with you. It's like, I'm still practicing this methods because it's not easy. But you know, like when it, for me, it was, it hit me quite hard. It's, or like, it touched me quite deeply. Like, I've, um, when you share new ideas, you know, things you work on, or like you publish the podcast, I've reached, I've received so much incredible, heartwarming responses. People reached out to me I haven't heard in, in years. Um, I wouldn't even have thought that I would listen to it. And then, uh, you know, like, you have like this, let's say, the ratio is 10 to 1 negative responses. 10 positive, 1 kind of not negative, but like 
you know when you when you meet some especially when you there's a close friend and you share something you're so enthusiastic about it just like an idea or what you work on and you you his or like the friend's reaction is just like this quite negatively stinged um not even constructive just more like destructive feedback and this kind of like blew the air out of my sails and i know it's like so funny that we humans like you you can see all these positive responses but you focus on the negative one and i think it's so important that like yeah all right this is there's one it's not a reactive response to the podcast by the way it's just like a response kind of like for the situation where you share something positive and you're like so energetic about it and then instead of like the other person realizing it's not about them being smart as right now and just being critical because they think they're doing you a favor it's just like all right there's a person who's full of enthusiasm with a new idea let's try to carry this on especially when it's some a very close friend of yours i think it kind of like hit me harder like all right yeah i don't know i i, I wish there's like you know he could share with me this enthusiasm so i give you the three but beside beyond that i had beautiful um time with um yeah walks with uh walks and talks with uh with friends this week um phone call with a good friend of mine in helsinki we talked about the episode and uh general stoicism and i'm looking really looking forward to be oh yeah next week i'm going back in helsinki we're going to celebrate midsummer it's going to be amazing so this week goes to three family i give a five um even though <laughs> all my family members my mom my dad they're on holiday my oldest sister, she's in France right now on a film festival. And my second oldest sister, she has been, because she works in the airplane business. <laughs> um, she works as a flight attendant. She's, you know, traveling a lot. She now, so they haven't been really here, but I love being in touch with them. I love uh, having this, being able to share what's going on in our lives. And I'm really looking forward to meeting them today and tomorrow before i leave my father's coming back as well today today's sunday the episode will be published on tuesday really looking forward to seeing him um i haven't seen him since march actually so yeah it's gonna be great love i will give myself a four uh currently there is um yeah there's this this love for life right now it's just good it's beautiful it's not an all-time high it's not a low it's not okay it's just very beautiful a very constant love for what i'm doing um the conversations i have or interactions i have with other people there's so much love in also like the work i'm putting into for example uh, lumi itself and the podcast and so it's a very yeah loving myself is at the moment like yeah it's just very good it's beautiful my mental health uh, i would give it a four because of the what happened with you know like how the friend or how it kind of like it made me feel and my kind of like made me go in this really weird all right is this even like worth doing narrative and but i got out of it again it's like kind of like a, the methods i applied and if you're curious about how i do it i can share them next time or just reach out to me body health has been four um getting back into bouldering love it Walking a lot. I love walking. I go in the mornings first thing after my meditations and morning routines, go for a walk or bicycling. I've actually never owned a car in my life. I either walk or drive a bicycle. 
uh, that's for me just pure happiness and um, yeah feeling good um, especially I can feel it when uh, the difference between now that I was in Byron Bay and now back in Europe it just there's so much more walking and bicycling going on and it just immediately gets you in a better mood across everything sleep has been a four this week there were two nights or three nights where I maybe slept five hours and uh, wow the next days it's just such a difference my clarity my mood um, the thing how I react to eating or like my, my cravings huge difference it was a four um, for me it's so important to sleep seven hours I go quite early to bed around between nine and ten and wake up actually nowadays between four and five <laughs> But I love it. I really love it. Creativity was a five. Um, the podcast launch. Oh, sorry. <laughs> podcast launch and uh, working on Lumi in the app. There's so much creation going on. So much um, manifesting. You have ideas and then you kind of like, it's always such a beautiful process. You have like an idea, you, you visualize it and then you see it becoming alive. It's a beautiful process. And in that terms, I will also give a five to my learning uh, I've learned so much about like, again, setting up the podcast, publishing it, um, thinking about you know, social media marketing uh, strategies, and especially working on um, on your side project on an app. It, uh, if you have something and you don't know yet how to get there, that's the only thing you need to know and, uh, and you will figure it out on the way. Okay, let's calculate it. So we have um, <clears throat> career four, friends three, seven, What's my total score? 7, 12, 16, 20, 24, 28, 33, and 5, 38. <laughs> All right, let's use a calculator. I think it's a 4 point something. 38 divided by 9, 4.2. That's my Lumi score for this week. <clears throat> it went a bit down from last week. Last week I had 4.3. Yeah, that's actually quite accurate not as high as last week but still very good going strong and my green lights um watching with a friend of mine uh guardians of the galaxy 3 even though i fell asleep but it's just nice to go to cinema i love going a very beautiful walk with a friend of mine an old friend of mine we've known each other for 33 years like i'm 33 and yeah we grew up as babies basically and um, yeah, we met and had a beautiful walk for Vienna and walked all about life and, you know, beautiful. It's just, it was a beautiful day. A beautiful day. We also sat in, um, sat in sun, uh, we're sitting in the sun somewhere in Vienna and there was a person playing piano on the street. Uh, magical. And um, yeah, then uh, yesterday I had a beautiful lunch uh with a friend of mine we called we cooked um saf saffron risotto it was delicious and i never knew how precious the flower saffron is so what i learned yesterday it only grows in a certain kind of region and you need seven seventy five thousand flowers to produce half a kilo of saffron and that's why it's so expensive. Like in India, it costs, what my friend told me, it costs around three euros per gram. And here in Europe, you pay 15 to 20 euros per gram. And it was, oh, it was delicious. It was so delicious. And um, yeah, I had beautiful bouldering sessions last week. Uh, getting stronger and stronger again. Um, of course, it takes, it takes some time after break, to break, long break, five weeks to kind of like 
get attendance in check. But yeah, this was my Lumi for this week. Um, really appreciate it. Uh, for that, if you have listened so far, wow, thank you so much. And um, if you have any questions, reach out to me or go to howtounreasonable.com where you can leave comments or questions. All right, but this was it for the day. And next episode is going to be probably Japan, if nothing else inspires me. But thank you so much for listening. And uh, here's some outro music. Enjoy your day or evening. You are amazing.